0: Hello. Is, Hello. This is, hi. This is Family Electric Ghost. Uh, we have Bio on the line. Uh,
1: Violeta. Uh huh. Uh, this is uh Violet and Gary.
0: Okay, good. So you're going hi. At, hi, hi, Gary. Um, I like your work. I've been checking it out. Oh, thank you very much.
2: <laughs> very cool,
0: raw, analog, digital shit going on, man. Uh, that's what I, that's my, my mantra. My mantra is, um, analog. Mo- most of the time I do use digital sense, but I, I'm heavily into modes right now. I just got a grandmother. Um, so I've integrated into my eurorack and I've been uh, kind of going crazy with it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll just give a brief uh, preview. I am fan electric ghost. I'm an electronic music, um, musician and producer. And I have had this podcast since 2018. We have over 22,000 listeners on 11 podcast platforms. And Anchor FM is part of Spotify. So right. what, we do, what we do is we interview indie musicians from around the world. And um, we've been doing so, like I said, since 2018. So tonight we have Vio and we have Gary Vail. Uh, is that is she, he, you Are part of her, her project or band?
2: Yes, I'm the guy that plays organic live instrumentation oh, cool. in her performances.
0: Oh, great. So I, I was reading a little bit on your um, bio, on your webpage page for, for bio, and it says a niche, niche of uh, traditional electronic pop echoing everything from Tiffany to Birthday Massacre. And it, it, the write-up was talking mostly about your Black Violet album. But I'm going to go through the questions that we usually start with uh, every artist we talk to. Um, so for the for the, for, for the whole project, what I usually talk to, to is like the lead singer or the, anybody in the band that wants to talk to you about it. But when did you first get into music and at what age? And this is for uh, Bio or yourself.
1: OK, um, I first got into music when I was uh, a kid. I, you know, I joined the choir and all that stuff. And my mother was a singer, so I just definitely been doing, you know, music off and on since I was a kid and the choirs and then stage theater after that.
0: Yeah, I was really, did- yeah. So in your background, oh. you kind of talked about in 2006 is like your key year, but prior to that, you were starting when you were really young, you did, you, professionally is 2006 the primary year, you really launched everything?
1: Yes, yes.
0: But like like you said, when you're in your early days, part of my questions I always go into is um, like when you first get into music, um, like how did you realize you had a talent for writing your own music? Because a lot of people start, they learn other people's music, you know, or they, they do cover bands. But a lot of, you know, I talk to singer songwriters and I, I'm always interested in what kind of keys you off in terms of, I want to write my own music, you have your own Uh, project you want to do when did you decide you wanted to do that
1: uh it was like 2006 uh or seven i really wasn't sure if i could do it so i decided to you know try 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 to do it and uh it just happened that way
0: So, so was did you have any mentors? It was all kind of just like you found the right people along the way.
1: I would say I found the right people along the way. I I don't feel I had any mentors. Kind of just was, you know, my just music was always in our family, Mm -hmm. and my mother was a singer and so was my dad off and on, but
0: yeah. You're, I don't you're, know the, you're, it you're came d-
3: nationally.
0: So your dad was in the crowns, right? The 1950s band at all Los Angeles it was a teen band. Uh,
1: hmm. No, it was just a high school talent show one-off thing. Oh, And it they were in a, a, a band called the crowns for the talent show. Okay. And, it, but yeah, definitely. Um, I wish they had done some, you know, shows out of high school, but they just mm-hmm. you know, they won in the talent show there and I think in another high school they won.
0: But having musicians in, in your family, they so they did they um encourage you or, 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 or did they say, well, you shouldn't do that because of their experience? <laughs> uh
1: no, nobody I mean my mother encouraged me to, you know, be um on stage theater get on stage theater with her because she was also doing stage theater uh, a combination of musicals but nobody ever encouraged me I kind of just pushed myself uh, because it was part time for everyone
0: else so I, I was reading that you met your first producer Mark Scarborough uh, aka uh, Scobra um, when you wrote your first two tracks keep on loving and don't say that So did you want to maybe talk about that?
1: Sure. Um, I basically uh, put out back in the day a MySpace ad for someone who wanted to produce my tracks. And uh, back in MySpace, I got a MySpace message response (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. from
1: a local producer. And then we started working together. Um,
0: And that's when you first called yourself Vio?
1: Yeah, he actually came up with that name. Uh an a, or a abbreviation of that name or
0: And you decided to stick with it since that point, right?
1: Yes. Uh-huh.
0: So um then it says that you actually worked with Tupac Shakur's, um former manager. I Mike, did um uh, creative
1: writing. Sorry?
0: At these, uh, it was said it was at the mic sessions where you honed your performance and writing art. Leila Steinberg's mic sessions.
1: I took uh, creative writing classes at Leila Steinberg's uh, mic sessions. They were called mic sessions, recording. Uh, we had like um, um, sessions of writing and stuff that we would do, uh, creative writing sessions. Yes. And she was Tupac's former manager um, at the time. Well, not at the time, but former.
0: Mm-hmm. And then from there in 2009, you were like the first and only female artist signed to Entertech Records out of Big Bear, California.
1: Yes, that's true. Uh huh.
0: And then you had that Don't Say That release. Um, and you design and do your own artwork for your releases, right? And is that still true? You do that?
1: Yeah, I do. I do all the design and artwork. I'm also a painter and artist, so I try to keep up on the art world as well.
0: <laughs> That's cool. I'm really into that. A lot of the ghost stuff is stuff I do myself as well. But um, um, so then you also collaborated with um, Greg Ripes of Kevorkian Death Cycle, who it said basically you had studied under Richie Wise, who was a record producer for Kiss. And they you, you worked on the single Foreshadow. Which is part of the EP Black Violet, right? So maybe you want to talk about that whole phase in project.
1: Yeah, um, basically Greg Gripes and I wrote that song together, and um, it was we started working on the beats as just uh, went to his studio, and he had analog synth- synthesizers everywhere,
0: <laughs> and I, I love those. We,
3: <laughs>
1: Yeah, me too. Um, So there was just analog sense that he started writing the some melodies on, and I came up with some words for it. So that's how that went.
0: So do you primarily work in studios? Um, Because some people today, I talk to a lot of bands. They use digital audio workstations. They're like in Pro Tools, or they're in FL Studio, but. It's interesting you you mentioned analog since because sometimes they they only exist in a studio you know because they're kind of pricier and they're hard to find so is that your typical um, process Do you 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 go to a recording studio and you use gear within the studio uh,
1: sometimes or I've been known to go to a park or um, you know go sit by a pool in the backyard or. So multiple, what
0: have you multiple ways of, of
2: playing? Um, so, Mr. Guys, Phantom, yeah? Mr. Phantom Electric Ghosts, I'm gonna interject here, yep. not only because Violetta is uh taking a sip off of her beverage and dealing with things here, but as I'm, this is Gary Vale, by the way, I, I play guitar and other things with her. It's important you understand. That with her creative process on these songs, you mentioned Greg Ripes and the song Foreshadow. Um, You know, a lot of these songs that she's recorded, as a guy that's learned them and, you know, kind of, you know, actualizes them in our live shows. um, I've kind of gotten turned on to these people and I go to their pages and their SoundClouds and their whatevers and I check out their stuff because I really dig that Foreshadow song. And I'm like, hey, man, who is this guy? Let's work him into the fold, because this is really awesome. And all of these people that she kind of works with, um, I listen to their other stuff. They're all really talented, but I I don't hear what I hear when they work with with Vio. You know, she kind of has a very cool offhanded um, happenstance artistic spin on things and all of the stuff you hear on her records um, there are these different producers on each track and they're all doing kind of their thing but oh what a coincidence that when they do their VO track it sounds different than their own stuff because she just kind of Has a very, uh, you know, dare I say, elementary way of coming up with her lyrics and her melodies on their thing that really makes it different than the other stuff they're doing. So when you listen to her record, there's kind of a continuum vibe going on that makes you think that there's, you know, an entourage working on these songs, but really the entourage is her. And it's kind of cool how she kind of brings that to whoever she works with, you know? So as the guy that kind of makes that happen live, it's kind of cool to be that guy, you know, because she's kind of got that going on.
0: That's interesting because, um, you know, I'm a music historian and I used to read about Bowie and Bowie would bring that to a project. You know, he assembled yeah. music- musicians from multiple areas. You know, sometimes you'd he'd, he'd have, you know, like hard rock guys or you'd have, soul guys like Luther Vandross and he could kind of mold the sound and he would totally mold it. Even though he's with all these professional musicians, he would, it's bow. It's a Bowie project. So it sounds like you have like bio, bio. You have a vibe. You have a sense of what you want to do. You're a singer songwriter and you know what you want. So when you work with a producer, they don't totally take over your sound. That's what it sounds like you're talking about that you, you still drive, the creative process, because you know what you want. Right. That's cool. But, because, yes. Yeah. I'm always very interested in that because I hate the kind of cookie cutter, um, nature of some of the music that's out there today, where you got some producers that this kind of force their style on everybody. And, you know, that's what they want to do. And people go to it because that's what they want, but it's always, I've always been somebody that's very, um, Drawn into singer-songwriters, you know, kind of showing my age. I grew up in the age of, you know, vinyl, where you would listen to a whole project all the way through, and uh-huh. uh, you know, we had listened to like, you know, Fleetwood Mac's Rumours, or listen to Tapestry, or listen to, you know, uh, you know, any of the great albums that go from the past, from Sgt. Pepper's to Electric Ladyland, and I was very much keyed into like every singer-songwriter is kind of like an author you know they create their great piece of work and you really need to listen to the whole thing through but a lot of times yeah. today projects are very much single oriented kind of like the 50s um but but it's cool to see that you have this kind of cohesive concept around your music which i would just point point out that Gary kind of really stated very well
1: oh that thank you so, we try
0: <laughs> so I was just getting back to the questions I usually go to, but we can always go a little bit off off track. But your influences, like I mentioned um when I was reading, that you had your write-up, you mentioned you name Tech Tiffany and Birthday Massacre. Are there other um musicians that you were inspired by in the work that you're doing? Um uh... Can
1: you repeat that last question about the question is kind of birthday like massacre?
0: Re, yeah, reference points in your music. In in your write up, there, there there's bio is in, basically your write-up on your website uh says that you kind of are are um Tiffany was name checked and birthday birthday massacre were name checked. But I was asking are there are other musicians that you were influenced by.
3: Oh
1: no, I, I didn't uh I
0: think we're alone now.
1: No, 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 I didn't put that down. That's funny. Uh, that's, I, I never. Uh,
0: well, that's actually on your website. <laughs> so <Sorry.
1: laughs> Oh, no, that's okay. On my web. Tiffany, like, I think we're alone now, Tiffany.
0: Which says, I mean, it, it, what's written up on your website, there, there's a, a statement that talks about her musical genres have coalesced into something pointed, and VO is a niche of traditional electropop echoing everything from Tiffany to the birthday massacre. Now, I don't know if somebody else wrote that for you. But that's that's you know, maybe
1: that was, oh, maybe that was a comment from a fan or something. Uh, I I don't draw inspiration from them, but uh, that maybe it was a fan quote.
0: Yeah, it was associated with ADSR Records out of London, so maybe they wrote that.
1: Oh yeah, they wrote that. uh the the British kids over there wrote that. Yeah. Oh, that's where they. Okay, they. they thought I sounded similar to that. That's what. They yeah, recorded. yeah. But I was
0: just trying to get from you. I always <laughs> ask artist I interview, who are their their heroes? Who are they inspired by? Where do you kind of pick up your reference point points from? Right. So, I I saw that on your write up, so I didn't know. Like, I wanted to ask you more about like what you would say. Oh
1: no, no problem, man. Yeah, no those. So that was someone else who was comparing me to those bands, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, my influences uh, have ranged from Joy Division t- to New Order, Love and
0: Rockets. Awesome. Um Mood. <laughs> Depen- Depen- so t- that's totally, in, I've been <laughs> listening to uh, Joy Division's first record for the last two months. Thinking that maybe I wanted to do a cover of Disorder uh, because that I really love Disorder. I think that's one of the best songs in their catalog. Um, but but yeah, I just love that how they merged into you know New Order after the tragedy. But that type of raw like uh, new wave kind of like well industrial pre-industrial sound to me kind is like a precursor to Nine Inch Nails. You know, a precursor to how what you can be. In the new wave, new romantic sound, and what, how how you can be very powerful. That you know it doesn't just have to be kind of dreamy; it can be very uh, jarring. Um, and I always I was always very impressed with Joey Division growing up, uh, and and also um, Depeche Mode and any of those bands in that space. I yeah, not really. <laughs>
1: really uh, sorry.
0: No, I really don't hear a lot of artists actually name checking them anymore. <laughs> so that's very uh, cool
1: oh yeah I definitely love you know I'm influenced by Susie the Banshees and uh, Front Light Assembly you know BNB Nation and you know even stuff that's old and acoustic sounding as the Sundays I love
0: oh that's cool
1: and um, Cocteau Twins
0: yeah I kind of show my age I'm a big fan of like Alex Chilton and Big Star like Big Stars third uh, just because of the kind of the melodies and the fact that no, not a lot of people know the songs, but there was just something about it. They're kind of like a modern Velvet Underground. Uh, if you've ever oh, got, okay. gotten into Big Stars, like they were, you know, Alex <laughs> from the box tops went and created like a Beatles clone that was actually better than Badfinger. Um, and they, they did three albums that really didn't go anywhere because they were on stacks, which, you know, Saks is really a, a soul label and they didn't really know how to market. a, a band from 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 the South that sounded like the Beatles. <laughs> but uh
3: hey, had-
2: you, know, you know what you know what's cool is um again is the guy that's gotta like play live <laughs> music with her on this stuff. Uh, um her songs really kind of translate in different ways. <laughs> I mean, I'm playing electric guitar on a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. and 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 her and I, uh, you know, like for example, in the fall, we did, um, we we got together on the beach, me with an acoustic guitar and her just singing, and you know, because as much as the influences are a big deal, I think the songs and how they translate are like the biggest of all deals, and. It's pretty cool how like Vio and I can get together and like just the two of us play music in different formats and her whole thing kind of translates no matter what we do. I mean, I can have like my electric set up with like a pedal board bigger than all three of us and, and do our thing in front of a live audience or just an acoustic guitar like on the beach with her singing. And, it's, it's kind of cool how like the songs translate no matter like how we play them. So I think just like the melody and the song craft kind of shine above all of this sort of influence stuff, you know? That's, yeah. that's the beauty of it all for me anyways.
0: Yeah, I understand like, singer-songwriter song craft is, is, is a kind of core. And if, you're a, you're, you're, if you're a musician and you're somebody that just, you do the music and you love to do it, then you can shine in multiple areas. You know, you can do like yeah. unplugged on the beach. You can do electric. You can do you know acoustic. You can you mix genres, and it's it's all a lot of a lot of art that I like. Seems to be kind of like artists can be like very improvisational. I love jazz, like Sun Ra, and uh, you know Davis and Coltrane, and a lot of it's a very you know you'll have a structure, but you kind of go wherever the song is going to take you and you know oh, yeah. you, might, you, you might do a song on the beach different than you do electrically or you different than you do in the studio uh different than it was from the demo and it's, fans kind of appreciate when a band doesn't just doesn't just keep on running the sequencer you know actually plays the song because the way they felt that night they did the song oh. in a different way so.
1: all right hello yeah Okay, just having a little technical difficulty here. Just make sure you're still on.
0: Yeah, I was just talking. Maybe, did you drop off? You want to know the best thing ever?
1: Well, We're going to tell you what just happened.
0: I'm going to tell you the best thing ever.
2: (laughs) We have candles lit all over the place. And I just spilled candle wax all over the device we're talking to you on. Oh, okay. That's what happened. (laughs) It it doesn't get better than that. Well, I still heard you. A real review of what really goes (laughs) on. All of the questions, you know, going on and the answers. That's that's like the best example ever.
0: <laughs> well, that that's a good way to live life. Um so it like it sounds like you have a very kind of organic uh kind of old school way of recording uh in, you could
3: say her-
0: that again. Uh yeah, Cause a lot of people are very structured today. So I, I have always asked questions about like, well, do you go to the studio? Do you do home <laughs> recording? Can you kind of maybe, you say you do multiple ways of doing it. Can you kind of just give us a brief overview of, like, at least for the project we were talking about um, for the last project you did. Um, is, is that the way you would describe what you did for um, Black Violet? How, um, how do you put that together?
1: You know, that was at different places. Um, some of the a lot of it was written in the studio, the music part, or and then I would take write some of the melodies outside, let's say. Um, but most of it was a lot of it was done in the studio or in you know a living room or you know just anywhere you could get everything written into recording anywhere really, but mostly mostly studios, you know, whether it be home studio. Mm-hmm. mixed with professional studio.
0: So when you do a recording session for a project, do you have a bunch of demos that you did part prior to going to the studio, or do you let go to a session and say, well, I'm just going to create everything at this studio session? Or do you have ideas that you bring there already?
3: Are, are you saying,
1: do I come there with three ideas already in my head?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, well, let me tell you one thing. Some songs, Some songs are really easy. It's like I, I It's like uh, Relentless was a song on Black Violet That those words just came to me with Along with the melody It all just came to me one night And I wrote it all down uh, But the other songs were not so easy Those didn't come to me Some of them took months to write Some of them took many tears And, and, and struggles just, just To just get out onto paper
0: So when, when you have a song That takes like It's a big struggle like Or it's a big effort how do you feel about that song versus the song that kind of comes together like seamlessly? Uh, it...
1: You know, I just wish they were all so easy that I could just, that, that all of them would just come to me so easily, but sometimes it's more fun when you have to think about it and really work at it too. You know, it's a learning process. Uh, Black Violet, the title track. I did not, I th- that is the one song that I wrote uh, with Omar Kinonis of Vane uh, Machine. He's in the band Vane Machine. He co-wrote the lyrics uh, with me on Black Violet the title track Black Violet but uh, the other ones I wrote myself
0: did you do that it, were you in the same space or were you in different places when you did that
1: uh you mean Omar and I for Black Violet that song yeah, yeah. so for the song Black Violet Omar did his part I sent Omar some lyrics and he said, uh, "We agreed that he would rework them, and so he wrote some of his lyrics for that too." Uh, he was living in Yucca Valley, California, and I am living in Los Angeles, so it was like three hours away. Not too much difference.
0: But that was kind of like over the phone or going back and forth through computer.
1: Uh, back and forth with the computer mostly.
0: Yeah, and then that, I
1: also yeah. I also did go to their studio to to record the final two. Oh,
0: you did. So you were able to, did you rework stuff when you got to the studio? Title track. What a great song. So when you did that final session, was there a lot of rework on the final or did you kind of keep together what you had worked over the net?
1: There was a lot of work after the final two. Oh,
0: okay. Um, Post production. Sorry, what? A lot of post-production work that you went back and looked at things and changed things around?
1: Um, no, not a lot, just a little bit. But I think I had to... I, you know, I think it was just uh, not too much, but enough to where there was some. It wasn't just done. Um, and Gary Vale here, he did the guitar on uh, Let You Go. That's also one of the songs on Black Violet. Did an excellent job. Made that song very organic. So, Gary... Maybe
0: how do you feel of, about that, Yeah, How Gary? did you, how did you um, come about creating that solo? Was this vibing off the song, or did you really, like, was it just stream of consciousness that it, vibing off what you heard, or did you have to, like, kind of really just construct it?
2: I got to tell you, it's, it's pretty cool playing guitar on her stuff because a lot of the recordings uh, have no – guitar whatsoever. You know, a lot of the producers she works with are are basically sitting at an Apple computer and creating sounds. So when they come to me, um, it's basically up to me to come up with my own devices to, you know, either reproduce things or come up with something else. And I often come up with something else because her stuff is very melodic. And her vocals generally carry the the main part of the melody. So it's, it's pretty cool to be able to come up with an instrument melody to go along with what she's doing. And um, in a live environment, um, it's, it's a neat challenge to reproduce, you know, 28 tracks of what someone else did on one organic instrument. So, like I said previously, it's kind of a tribute to is the song good or not? If the stuff wasn't good, I'd be dead in the water right there. But fortunately for me, the stuff is really good. So it gives me a really good palette to kind of expound on melodies and vibes and sounds and, you know, all that stuff to just kind of go off and do my thing. And, um, I, It's, it's been, I don't know, six, seven, eight years of live shows doing stuff with her and some studio stuff. And, uh, it makes for a really good partnership. It's, uh, kind of a good challenge of laptop versus strings on wood, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think in the current age of music, I think that's a challenge that, uh, we'll hear a lot more
0: about yeah it's interesting because um so when you were putting the guitar tracks down how many like variations or um solos did you have to did you go through and then did you have to get like uh like an agreement to like which solo is the best one or did you just didn't have to do too many like how many how many versions of, of your solo did you have to put down
2: oh not the... not many not many at all but to be honest with you, only my wife and my dog know that I do a lot of that stuff before it leaves the house. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because quite frankly, um, you know, showing up to a session with the right thing is, is a big deal. Yep. And and uh, as much as I work on my technique, guitar wise, um, I probably spend a little bit more time ideal wise. So, things like a proper melody on a guitar or a proper idea on a guitar, or even hitting a pedal and making like a really perverse noise mm-hmm. on guitar, um, it is what turns people on. And, um, it, as much as I like to act like it's natural, um, you know, it, that it doesn't just happen, yeah. it does take a little bit of time. So, um, I, I tend to, you know, work on that before I show up and, and, um, you know, at the risk of sounding like an ass, because I am one, <laughs> um, <laughs> normally when I show up and I do that, everybody's like, oh, hell yeah, that's yeah. cool. Let's go with that. You know? Yeah. You so
0: take your, take your A game. Well, it's like, Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I watch a lot of documentaries on, you know, classic musicians, and I was watching a Peter Gabriel, uh, his album, So, and they were talking about how they constructed some of the big tracks from that album. And, uh, you know, the drummer was talking about how he kind of just, you know, was told just make it up. (laughs) And... (laughs) Yeah, on one of the big hits like uh like yeah. and but he was an amazing drummer but then what the producers went and did is they went and sliced up the drum parts from like 99 tapes, and then tape spliced them together which is wow, kind of nice a, that's a real old school kind of uh like beatle technique which sometimes Hell Yeah you know, yeah that, that, I kind of like that compared to going into a DAW I like like if you could go back and and use analog tape and do stuff like that. Yeah. I, I tend yeah. to, to like that type of recording. And I do a lot of Zoom A a lot of live recording. And then I don't use a DOM. I use a Zoom R24. And I huh. punch in and punch out because I'm using analog synths. And and I don't like how the I get a lot of compression. So I'll do a, like, I'll, I'll record myself onto a sampler and then I'll splice it into multiple sections and then overdub additional analog synth parts and then run through different filters on my modular synths and just keep on, you know, deconstructing, uh, deconstructing kind of like Wilco. <laughs> if you go back, you know, okay. yeah, you know, you, nice. I, I like, I like doing a lot of kind of strange uh, modulation, weird techniques that I, I pick up from some of the old school progressive rockers. But yeah, I'm I really, yeah. You know, that's kind of my vibe and it's hard today because a lot of people are like, well, where, where are your MIDI instructions? I'm like, well, everything's like WAV file.
3: <laughs> yeah, baby. Uh,
0: but, but that's the way I roll. But
3: You're turning me on over
0: here. <laughs> that's I'll just, I, I've been recording since, like, since I was 17 using, you know, go back in a day. I had a DX7 and a D50 and, you know, and then I started moving back backwards and getting you know model D's and stuff. But, uh, Yeah, I just find that that's where it's at right now. You know, with model D's and grandmothers and matriarchs and stuff like that, profit fives and sixes. That's that's kind of my head. But
2: yeah, I'm kind I'm kind of with you, man, because I grew up in the analog universe as well, so I dig that. And and I gotta say, as, as the world continues to, you know, wow over, uh, you know, Snapchat. Sound bites and you know how many Instagram hits did you get and all this stuff. I'm noticing that an analog, uh you know, I'm, I'm a guitar player, so I'll relate to that. A- as an analog, you know, wire string on a piece of wood, organic musical moment enhances all of that. I- I'll say that in in the in the world we're in right now the the uh, dichotomy of how those two worlds meet, there's something magical going on there. And I don't think any of us have figured it out yet, but I'm kind of getting off on the challenge. You know what I mean? Well,
0: it's kind of cool. That, I mean, I'll just go off a little bit. It's like today, if people realize, the ARP 2600 was re-released by Korg. And that's a classic machine that like Stevie Wonder used and all these art rockers used. And it's a full analog like massive mono synth that is like super powerful um and pure analog signal and you know Moog has been releasing things profit has been releasing things you know there's all these old school synths from the 70s I mean this is the 1971 synth it's been re-released and you know we're trying to find an old ARP you know if you could listen to Inner Visions or listen to the songs in the Key of Life and get an idea of what that thing can sound like um yeah, there's a reason to have those instruments rather than using plugins, just because you can't recreate that kind of stuff with a plugin. And, uh, you know, I'm a kind of an old school guy, so I'm always pushing that. But yeah, there is a merging of people using FL Studio with somebody having a Moog, a Mini Moog, or somebody using, a, you know, a Profit 5 and somebody using Pro Tools. Because you use the tools you have. There's stuff you can do digitally you can't do with analog. And so, yeah, of of course, if if there's stuff I want to do with samples, there's stuff I want to do with, you know, really advanced digital synthesis, you know, like you do linear synthesis or you do frequency modulation or wavetable synthesis, yeah, digital synth is going to be way better. But but there's analog stuff, like an analog baseline is always going to kick. An analog lead from a mini mode is always gonna be there for me. But the modern stuff you still want it for certain things is just kind of like not all all or nothing. It's kind of all everything. <laughs> but um yeah
2: man. I've noticed that your stuff, because I've been checking out your stuff, the uh the the audio is very like out front and loud. <laughs> To a point of sexually uh, annoyance. You know what I mean? I dig that.
0: <laughs> well, I kind of have a punk aesthetic. I grew up liking bands like Who's Do Uh And, and yeah. working, like The Replacements and The Class. Bob
3: Moore all the way, baby.
0: Yeah. And so I grew up like like I have a punk aesthetic aesthetic when it comes to my synth. And I kind of run things, you know, run in the red line. Um, just because I, I think you can be like Trent Reznor. you you can you can prove that synthesizers can be as a a, as aggressive as anything black flag ever did or anything who's did or orange nine millimeter any of those bands so i felt that i i was a always a frustrated guitar player and i played synths. and i said well i'm gonna make my sense rock as hard as any guitar and that's what i try to do
1: (laughs) hell yeah good job
0: nice um Yeah. So, yeah, let me get back to your album. So um, Black Violet on Bandcamp, which we're going to push your Bandcamp because one of the cool things about this podcast is we can put all your links. So all your hyperlinks will be clickable. Uh, So Bandcamp is your primary distribution method, right? For everything you're doing. Yes. Is Black Violet like the primary or the latest project or you've got other projects on the way?
1: Uh, Black Violet is the uh, primary latest one, yes.
0: So uh, is there anything on the works for 2020?
1: Uh, Yeah, there's maybe a single or two uh, kind of trying to come out, you know, really, really and perhaps a secret side project as well, uh, in the works.
0: Cool. So have you been touring primarily the Los Angeles area, or are you going beyond that with your music? Uh,
1: We actually have gone a little bit beyond. We went to Ventura and Orange County. We need to get out of state sometime.
3: Are you looking at... Primarily Los Angeles, though.
1: Primarily Los Angeles, Hollywood, uh, well, we you, did go to Ventura and the OC before.
0: Well, you're in a great area, It's like New York. I mean, if you're in, like like I'm on the East Coast, so New York is the big draw. You know, Boston's like maybe second, but New York's where I, I like to play the most. But LA is, you know, that's like pinnacle. Terry, you're in a great. You're like being in London. You know, it's, you got a lot of places to play. Um, right. So, so do you have you played like the Whiskey or Go Go and the places like that? The like, you know, the the real big kind of known places.
1: We maybe- playing the House of Blues that's now closed down. Oh
0: okay. House of
1: Blues. Uh we played the Viper Room before yes.
0: Oh Viper yeah. These are all the ones everybody knows like that they the, you know from the East Coast are like, oh I want to get to the Viper Room.
2: <laughs> yeah you know you gotta know the whiskey Go Go is kind of a heavy metal
0: dare more- I say 80s,
2: yeah it's almost an eighties metal kind of a place. Oh they they're, um, they're stuck in that yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, in, in terms of notable venues, um, you know, we've done the, the house blues on Sunset, mm-hmm. um, a couple of times, I think. So that's cool. But, um, for our, you know, being Los Angeles based, our fan base is Los Angeles based, of course. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they're not the uh, more touristy style venues. And uh there's kind of an underground scene going on. But
0: scene to be in.
2: Yeah, you know how that goes. I'm sure if you live in New York, yeah. you know to get the hell out of Times Square. Same yeah. same story, you know. Well, so, actually, a lot of electronic
0: um, musicians we play like Fat Baby, we play the smaller clubs, like 300, 400 seat clubs, not the super big ones. Um
2: Yeah. And and I'm sure that's where the real action is going on. You know, exactly
0: where you meet other musicians that are doing what you're doing. Like, if I want to meet other modular, synth, like analog synth guys, they're playing like Fat Baby, playing like CBGBs. They're playing in the smaller places. You know, they're not yeah the big vendors. Well, there's no hole in the wall they're playing bars in Brooklyn and stuff. But, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know those venues. Not being a New Yorker, um, I but but we don't want to just play for um other musicians, you know. Uh, we want to turn people on to music or into live music. But um we've been fortunate to play a lot of really cool venues here in the Los Angeles area that you know if you're not here, you're not familiar with, but that's fine. Um that's
0: that's, that's where you pay your dues. You know, if you're you're working musician, you want to play, you don't just you know, you know, the way the world is today, you, you can go on your Facebook you and go on YouTube. You can go on Vimeo, you do your videos, you know, that's a different type of marketing strategy to get your stuff out there. Uh, I do my Facebook live performances for my home studio to kind of get my fans going when I'm not doing live shows, but yeah. Well, what do you think about things like that? Have you thought about like doing like a Facebook live, like unplugged or even plugged in performance and streaming it to your fans?
1: Yeah, we actually, uh, all of our, peers are doing it and we see we need to start doing it too you know for fun as well as for professional uh perspective
0: yeah i, st- I actually started on periscope like two years ago and i would just like live stream recording sessions from my studio and then i get up i have this whole thing where you know i'm a little fan of electric Ghost. i wear this led outfit with a phantom mask and gloves and a hoodie and all this stuff just to have stagecraft but um yeah, I found I would get like, you know, three, five thousand people watching. Watch uh, and then it kind of helped me get this podcast and, you know, expand and, you know, I got a distribution contract and it was just kind of like I kept on doing all these live performances on my Facebook. Um,
2: That's cool, man.
0: And and you, you you there's equipment. I mean, I just use a cell phone on a tripod with a Roland Go mixer, not to plug them, but <laughs> but uh, you, you, you can get a really good soundboard recording. <clears throat> from your from your from your instruments and have like quarter inch lines coming from your guitars or your your synths going right into the feed and controlling the levels and and because of that you can, can you make sure you actually have a decent sound um and and it's really cool cuz you know you can actually practice a live show before you get to the show <laughs> you know right (laughs) and then you know you can get your fans in on unplugged performances you can preview new songs you can see what the reaction is to new material before you put it down and it's you know it's a pretty cool world that way I think that is kind of been a big equalizer in terms of you can get your fan base really motivated with a lot of new material that doesn't necessarily have to get published by your label um but they can get into what you're doing um, so I think that's that seems to be the kind of future music is, is is streaming and and getting onto these social media sites. A lot of bands can kind of control their own uh, marketing.
2: <laughs> God bless the technology.
0: Yeah. Yep. So I mean, you love you. You've yep. been on band, you've been on Bandcamp for a while. So you really you you think Bandcamp is is a better venue for you you as a band?
1: It is because they allow. Uh, so much profit for the artist whereas on streaming there's not much profit for the artist
0: yeah streaming is like the radio it seems like streaming's like the radio to kind of get your name out there but it's not really a profit like uh proposition <laughs> because unless you even if you're a big band you don't make the money that if you actually sell t-shirts you can make more money selling t-shirts I can sell more. I can make more money selling T-shirts in New York City than I do from my Spotify. Um, yeah. I,
2: make,
0: I make more money, you know, from something like Bandcamp or from like Anchor FM as a podcaster um, than I do on my on my income. It, it's like if I sell a CD through Amazon that I burned myself, I make more money doing that, um, uh, which is interesting. That you know, the streaming gets you out there, so you get people to know who you are. Like I said, it's like the radio, but but it doesn't really get get you the income stream you need as an artist. Which would be good if something could change that way, because it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Absolutely.
3: Yeah,
1: it needs to get better for us all, right?
0: Well, you need to get people. But my, I had a, a conversation because I'm in my day job. I'm an IT guy. I'm I'm a programmer. Uh, and I was talking to some guys to do video games and the big new thing is, you know, a lot of the young kids, they, they, they spend 50, 60 bucks on a video game, but they won't buy a CD. Right. Um, and so I was saying, he's like, is there, are you guys thinking of actually working with musicians to bring like new songs into these games and actually pay us better than we get paid on streaming sites? And they are
3: uh-huh.
0: a lot of video game companies are looking to bring artists and have songs released through the games. Oh and wow! To bring artists into the
3: video.
0: Yeah, you'll get high. You get higher royalty rates than you do through Spotify. If you if you got into a game and actually put the song into the game, you can get.
2: More. I'm of, I'm of the impression that that video gaming is a lot like uh, gangs or fashion or a lot of that stuff where it's kind of a who you know, you know, are you in the game sort of a thing. Yeah, um, they're,
0: they're indie companies, though. They're indie companies outside the big rock star companies that are the big ones. They're smaller ones uh, that do, you know, games that go on cell phones and smartphone games. There's all different types of level of gaming. Um, and so... There's just another market for getting music out there if you can get your music into in a game that's maybe a cell phone based game, not a PS4 or an Xbox game or something. It just gets you another venue that potentially can get your music into a, a wider area. It's like sync licensing. You know, if you. Well,
2: you, you know what's hard is um, as a uh, a fan and a, a worker on the VO music. Uh, brigade, I have to say, uh, we're kind of transcending a sound bite is a big deal sort of music here. There's sort of a melody payoff, time invested kind of a thing. There's truly a song element. You know, the, the, the bad news is video games don't really um, acknowledge a invest time in a melody and hear the payoff and the feeling that
0: comes from one of of the options though is to actually have full songs like playing in the background like no
2: i i dig that i dig that
0: yeah Um, what i'm talking about is people actually being able to have like a jukebox and pay for songs and actually have them playing the whole song and while while they're playing the game mm -hmm. and then paying the artist for the use of that song so it's not just like a 10-second clip. It's actually the whole song being played because kids play for hours. So you see, if you get a kid playing for like eight hours, six hours, and they're, they go in and they're picking their favorite songs and they want to be able to pick indie songs that are kind of underground songs, they don't want to just pick what's the latest top 10. If you get that indie song into that game, available to that consumer so they can listen to it yeah. in the game, the full entirety of the song, it's a different way of getting money. So is this is this a different way? Think of it as another streaming platform, but you get more money for it. Um,
2: I can I can yeah I totally dig that, I totally dig that. Yeah, Um, talking about (laughs) I dig that. As someone who's exposed to a young gamer in the gaming world, because the the attention span of that world is similar to that of a gnat. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and I love I love gnats. by the way don't don't get me wrong <laughs> I try not to swat them when I don't yeah, have to I need to um but the the uh kind of what's going on here is is a little bit more of a kind of a a, a soup that's better than microwave instance soups you know so yeah, man, I, I would prefer I don't know that we're quite set up for that kind of a thing
0: yeah
2: but uh you know you bring up a good point. Maybe we'll look, we should look into that a little bit more.
0: Well, it's just good to figure out where you can get your movie, your if you can get your song into an indie film, if you can get your song into advertising, you know, just because that's sync licensing is the only way we really make any money as, as musicians um, compared to like other types of money that we can get. Yeah. And so really
2: yeah. fine line, really fine line between internet monetary smarts. And, and, and being true to yourself as an artist, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, and, if if I, knew, I knew the answer to that, we all wouldn't be here, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you do the music and you love to do music and then you hope you find an audience, but then you have to think about, well, what, where can I get this music? And you, as an artist, you want to get the music to your fan base, but you, you want to be able to do what you want to do and you don't want to necessarily become like a corporate Musician, but you want to be able to be profitable and be like a little bit. And so, like, a lot of times, like, you know, I I want people to listen to my whole project. So I want them to to buy the CD or buy the vinyl because the whole project had meaning. But then, you know, people just want to take one song and put it on a playlist. And that's the nature of of the way things are. But if you can drive them through doing like a Facebook show and then show them that these songs go together, then maybe they'll decide, Oh yeah, I do want to hear these songs together. And so you just have to find ways to draw the audience to see your vision um, as an artist and you use all the tools that are out there to do it. You know, I just think that's, that's the opportunity. I think for the artist in 2020 is to take everything that's out there and kind of drive the audience to you. You know, yeah
1: and, get, and, and I'm listening to whole albums and I want people to listen to the whole thing
0: you know? Yeah, Just cause, I, mean, I think the hip hop community has been able to get people to listen to a lot of hip hop rap albums are albums that are meant to be heard all the way through um, kind of like the way rock albums like Tommy or Quadrophenia or any of the old classic Pink Floyd albums people would actually sit down with the vinyl and listen all the way through to the wall Or, you know, because that's the way it's meant to be heard. Uh, A lot of times with modern pop music, you don't have a lot of albums today that would drive somebody to do that. Um, Yeah, I know. But but the hip hop community has been able to do it. So I think there is an audience out there that was willing to do it, but we have to engage them in a different way because they're willing
3: to
2: buy. You bring up a hip hop, and I don't know what that has to do with the fact that my opinion of it is the internet in general has kind of made all of our attention spans that of a net, you know, which I brought up earlier. And I think that's where the dichotomy between clicking on something for 15 seconds to see if it's worth the shit and listening through an album, um, is, is kind of a big deal. And, uh, It's hard as an artist to come up with a bunch of songs to romance people into a vibe. I don't know when the last time you got laid was or romance a woman out of her pants, but it generally takes more than 46 seconds. And that seems to be where the internet community hits the back button and gets out of whatever it is. So it's this attention span thing, which, I think transcends hip hop. It's it's kind of a weird issue we have right now, where where people don't want to spend more than thirty seconds looking into something. It's it's really frustrating, you know what I mean? Like you feel the need to blow something up. You know, like have a naked girl and a puppy dog,
0: and President
2: Trump and everything else all showing up in the first twenty seconds, all like blowing up in in some sort of Orgasm explosion to get people's attention, um, where where a true artist kind of has a way of romancing you in and creating a profound moment in more than twenty seconds. How to connect those dots, I think, is, is the true challenge right now.
0: Indeed, yeah, I would say there there like there are some artists you know, like I mentioned, like for some reason within the rap community there are projects where people listen to the whole project they don't just jump around um yeah and and it's 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 it. i think it's got to be like the content and and where the kids are today something that will drive them into that um when when you get you know like there's artists like uh you know that you might not be into but uh, like Odd future and um Tyler, the creator, he gets people to listen to it in the entire projects. They'll listen to the whole albums because they have concepts. And I come back from from the progressive rock era
3: where you
0: listen listen to Yes album all the way through. You listen to Lamb Lies Down on Broadway from Genesis because that's the way it's meant to be heard. Um, And, you know, people my age that still like those bands will go to see a Yes concert because they want to hear Fragile all the way through. But, but getting the younger generation to want to do that is hard. <laughs> it's people my age that want to see those progressive rock bands play that way. And my fans tend to be people who, who like to do that. Um, I have kind of a niche. It, it's harder to convert the younger folks into that. Um, but it seems to be the way things are going. Indeed, yes. So that's interesting um, that you guys bring up a lot of cool... Things that I haven't talked to, a lot of the a lot of artists I've talked to lately have been on a different vibe, they've been in a different place, so it's cool to talk to different people. I've talked to many different people in all different types of um, music genres, from like EDM DJs to punk rockers to, you know, um, you know pure rock bands. Um, so it's, it was great to have you on, and this is going to get published tonight, within the next hour and we'll send you the link. Like I said, I'll put the hyperlink to your website and your Bandcamp and your Facebook.
1: And on Instagram, uh, too, is V.O. Music.
0: Yeah, I'll put that Thank on you. Well. So it was great having you on, Bio and Gary. Um, and we, I hope to talk to you. If you have another project that you want to push in 2020, we tend to have people come on the show multiple times if they have different projects they want to push.
1: All right, man. Uh, definitely, uh, you know the new single that I have tried to release is called uh, "Just for You."
0: Oh, cool! When's and, the target, uh, date for, target date for that?
1: I would say summer solstice, two thousand twenty.
0: Cool. Yeah, we get close to that. Give us a, a ring on our Instagram, and we can we can do a prep to kind of pre-release, yeah. talk it up.
1: We just had a couple shows in Old Town, Pasadena. So right now we don't have anything scheduled, but we'll let you know. Costa Mesa. We just got done with all that. So we'll let you know if there's anything new, man. Thank you so much. It's great to be on your show.
0: We love your show. Thank you very much. We'll have you on again when you guys want want to come on. So just let us know.
3: Okay, man. Thanks.
0: Okay. Have a great night. You You as well. Okay. Bye. Bye.